being a school principal might just be the most interrupted job on the planet. Every celebration, classroom party, and great lesson in the school, you're invited. Every difficult conversation with a parent whose child is not behaving or with a teacher who's chronically late to work, you're there too. And every emergency in the building with 500, 1,000, 2,000 people in it, it's your emergency. And on top of all that, you are responsible every day for the safety of the world's most precious asset, our children. How do they do it? We're here to find out, here in the principal's office. Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast. This is Jeff Gorski, your host with Leaders Building Leaders. Uh, our organization is all about solving problems, especially among charter schools, where we know that money is tight and support is hard to find. So we provide tools through coaching, training, and consulting to, to help schools move closer to accomplishing their goals, whatever those goals may be. So if you want to learn more about us, visit us at www.leaders-building-leaders.com. In what we do, we talk a lot about mentoring and mentors uh, in our work with leadership development. And I have to tell you, it is something special to meet one of your mentors. Mentors. Uh, this podcast features Joy Warner, who has long been someone that my friend and mentor Tom Miller has referred to as the best school leader he has ever seen. Joy is the founder and executive director, uh, and also I think a high school principal uh, at the Community School of Davidson, a K-12 public charter school north of Charlotte, North Carolina. Joy and her team have built one of the most cohesive models I have seen in charter schools. And much like Buffy Fowler a few episodes back, from Francine Delaney New School for Children, Joy has focused and refocused constantly over the past decade to ensure that her school's values permeate their decision-making. As you listen, see if you can count how many mission and values-based intentional decisions have led to this school's success as one of the model charter schools in all of North Carolina. Now, the format for this episode is a little bit different than those in the past. Rather than me having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, we actually recorded this at one of our regional charter school consortium meetings where Joy and her team graciously hosted us as we toured the building. Um, so you'll hear many voices asking the questions rather than just me, and also we'll hear some responses from other members of Joy's administration team. So buckle up. This is a good one. Uh, I hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. So here's how this works. Um, we're we're going to ask uh, questions of the team, maybe something you saw or you know, something you have your own challenges with. I would love, Joy, if you would kick us off just with a, a, um, a small history of CSD and, and you know, the vision and how you have you know, took that vision to an incredible heartbeat. Um, and, then, and, then, and then we'll go from there. So it gives, sure. it gives everybody time to write, to write your questions down if you haven't yet. Uh, but okay. if you want to start with your time with Dr. Ernest Boyer or just kind of how you started. Okay, you cue me if there's something you specifically want me to talk about, but so my timing, I'm going to do this in three minutes. Go for it. Okay, so I have been a public educator my whole life. Um, I'm a weird charter school leader in the name of transparency that I worry about the charter school movement in our nation. Um, I am not interested in privatizing public schools. And so in the name of transparency, that scares me. I worry. I worry for our most vulnerable children. So while I am a charter school leader and I believe in charter schools as a role, I'm, I'm not a 
person who thinks that our nation should be all charter schools. So transparency. So that's mm -hmm. my head. So I didn't. Uh, I got my master's degree in administration purely by default because my principal bullied me into it. I never ever planned to be a principal. I thought I would be a curriculum specialist. And um, he said, you need to do this because this gives you more options. Well, okay, but I will never be a principal. That is a terrible job. So just that's my history. Long story short, um, the pendulum in education, you all know, it swings back and forth and teachers are at the mercy of the, the politics behind education. And that is uh, my, my, my Achilles heel are politics and bureaucracy in education. I'm bad at it. Terrible, terrible at those two things. So long story short, I always thought I would open a utopia school and the one that lived in my teacher head when I was about 50, 55 and my kids started going to college. But I was a mom with a five-year-old and a one-year-old and I needed to send them to school. And I wanted my kids in a public school because it's just who I am as a mom and an educator. And in my public schools, while they're around here, they're phenomenal schools. Um, I saw a lot of really unhappy teachers, great teachers, unhappy, great teachers doing things they didn't believe in. And that goes against, I'm a teacher, right? I'm not really a principal, I'm a teacher. And that really doesn't sit well with me for teachers to be unhappy teaching. And I think that trickles down to kids. I think it's our job as leaders to make our school a happy, good place for teachers because that trickles down for kids. So long story short, I, for, woke my husband up in the middle of the night and said, honey, I think I'm supposed to open a school now. And if you knew my husband, you'd appreciate the humor of that because he is the analytical, our, we have the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. If there's traffic on the road, he waits it out. If there's traffic on the road, I take the nearest exit and go every round away so that I can keep moving because I gotta keep moving. But for some crazy reason, he supported me and he is totally, He's, a, he's an attorney and he's a finance guy and he is, the reason this school is open was the expertise that he could take my big picture brain and help me get it into those little lines. <laughs> so uh, we opened, there were no charters at that time to get. We opened as a small private school of one kindergarten class of 18 kids while we waited for a charter to become available. Um, it was low, low tuition, $3,000, because we weren't interested in having an exclusive private school. We were interested in having a place, quite frankly, for my child to go to school and mm -hmm. 17 others while we waited to get a charter. Um, we applied for our charter. We got, our, we got it awarded. We had our planning year. We added one section of first grade the second year, one section of second grade to you, while we waited. So our first year as a charter school, K-3, we opened with just over 300 students and we grew grade by grade by grade. And we've now graduated, um, this will be our fourth uh, group of seniors. Never, we got our original charter for elementary school um, because I'm an elementary person, right? And then you have those kids for one year and you say, holy heck, I love these kids. I'm not letting anybody else get them. And you extend your charter for middle and high school because you want to, um, have a place where teachers are empowered to do what's best for kids. Um, full disclosure, we are imperfect. We make a hundred mistakes every day. Um, I say I'm sorry more than I say anything else because I drop balls and mess up all the time. Um, the 
that I had the beautiful, amazing gift of working under Dr. Ernest Boyer, who died when my 21-year-old was an infant. Uh, the most, if you ever can watch any of his speeches, um, he's the most articulate educator and lover of children and teachers that I've ever had the pleasure of working. But he was the president of the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching and did research. And I had the beautiful opportunity to work under him in the basic school project when it was an idea in his head. And he brought, because he loves and respects teachers, he brought eight teachers in from the nation. You went through an application process and he brought us in to work with him on the curriculum portion of his book. And that grew into a consulting opportunity for me that I did while I was teaching. I Just so you know, I'm pretty sure I was a mistake in the paperwork of those eight teachers because the people I sat with were crazy brilliant and much older than me. I was young at that point. I was like 28 years old. But it was a great mistake in the paperwork because that philosophy is the framework for this school. Everything we do and say, every decision we make goes back to mission, vision, and that mission and vision is completely shaped by the framework of the basic school. Is that, did I hit the main things? I'm pretty sure. Okay. There's, there's a lot to talk about. So there's so many things that you know we could talk about here. So so I so you know questions. What what types of questions do you have for them? And and then so we'll just wait. If, so if you can ask one question, and if you've got a follow up, just try to keep it to one since we have a lot of people and they got a lot of things to get to, and we can always maybe follow up and come back. So Joan. So I have a question. When you start, many of us start charter schools that are um, a smaller grade span and you're expanding a grade level a year. And we all embrace the parent volunteers which comes with that sense of entitlement. As you move through middle and high school, I noticed that there was an awful lot of freedom that your high school students have mm -hmm. in terms of where they are and what they do and their electronics that can't be an easy thing to navigate mm -hmm. um, with your parent population for students feeling safe at school or parents feeling their kids are safe at school. Mm -hmm. How did you approach that as you added middle and high school? Um, parent discussion, parent education is huge. Um, uh, oftentimes when I find myself frustrated with parents, if I really am being honest with myself, it's my fault because I haven't communicated well and haven't won their trust by giving them the why behind what we do. Um, most of the time, that really does work. Not all of the time. I literally, just before spring break, we have intercession before spring break, and I have a parent who has met with me. He does not like that we do intercession. He thinks it's a waste of time, and I heard his concerns. I shared his concerns in August. We had this discussion and said, but we're still going to do it. But I educated him and explained, and I got another email right before spring break that said, I still hate this, I want you to stop it. And I said, I am so sorry, we're not going to stop it. So there is sometimes a philosophical alignment about a thing that you're never going to get alignment. And my message to parents is this. Um, we won't agree on everything because we're humans and we're not wired to agree on everything. Um, and you always have to decide what are your non-negotiables as a parent and can you live with the little things about us you don't like? We'll always hear you. We will always put your child first, but we might not always agree with what that looks like, but we'll be transparent and we'll help you understand, but we might not always agree. And at the end of the day, 
that's every parent's decision. Is, is, is this a big non-negotiable for me, or is this a little thing? I'm frustrated with joy, but I can live with it because the most important stuff is all good. Um, so in terms of growing our school, we, uh, again, back to mission and vision, our goal was to grow into middle and high school in a way that our middle and high school reflects the mission and vision of this school at a different developmental level, right? And we are a school that believes in holistic education. Um, tests are a part of what we do, and they're an important part of what we do. They give us good information, um, but they're not why any of us do what we do. Probably not you either. Um, our mission and vision is we are approaching children holistically as entire whole people, cognitively, socially, emotionally, and physically, and preparing them as best we can to, to provide an environment that allows them to become the best versions of themselves to prepare them for life. I didn't say prepare them for middle school. I didn't say prepare them for high school. I didn't say prepare them for college because none of those are our goals. Our goal is life. If we're preparing kids for life, we have to grow them as young, independent, thinking, critically thinking, idea-making, creative, problem-solving humans. And we do not believe that you do that by having rigid controls on kids where you make every decision for them. Um, there's a 50, over 50% 50 of college freshmen do not finish college. That should freak all of us out as educators. What are we doing wrong that over 50% of our college freshmen don't finish college? Well, I think there's a million reasons why that happens from finance to being at, you know, the finances of college to being at the wrong college to um, being completely controlled in middle and high school to the point that you don't know how to make a decision or live independently or be healthy or have healthy relationships when you go into the adult world. So when we explain to our parents, part of our middle school and high school professional responsibility is to prepare your kids for independent, meaningful, purposeful lives, then we have to let them practice being free and making choices. And, that, and those mistakes that they invariably make that are yucky and uncomfortable and hot messes to clean up are wonderful because they're making those mistakes with us while the stakes are low enough that their, wor their world doesn't come tumbling down because they have parents and educators as the safety net. So when we tell, talk about that with parents, we get buy-in. Um, the most common thing I hear about our high school campus is this feels like a college. And I say, awesome, that was one of our goals. We want them to practice being at college here. What are some of the other non-negotiables? Non Non-negotiable. Um, you have. If you're going to work here, you have to love our children. I will fire you if you don't. Hands down. Um, period. Not. Um, if you need help teaching the way we teach, but you love our kids, we'll we'll coach you. We will give you so much support. But I, we have zero room in a community that's taking care of kids to have people here who don't like our kids. So that's a big non-negotiable in our school um, community in terms of what we expect and how we interact. Um, you have the report cards, right? Um, yes. We do not do traditional grading, um, numerical letter grading, until eighth grade. Again, 
that's a thing some parents can't stand about us. That drives them crazy because I really want to be able to say at my Funko Club that I have a straight A student. Um, and Grandpa only gives $20 if you have straight A's. What am I supposed to tell my Grandpa? And I'm like, tell him you have straight A's. Miss Joy said so. <laughs> um, but that is another. We, we uh, one of our big non-negotiables at the school is related to intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic rewards. Um, that, as a, as a mom, if I look back in time, the very most important reason I opened a school at the point that I did was because when I uh, walked through schools, I saw miserable teachers doing things they don't even believe they should be doing because they're told they have to, and kids treated as animals. Do this and you get this. Do this and you get this. Oh, you didn't do this, so you don't get to get this, but everybody else gets to get this. And there's a ton of research around extrinsic reward systems. It is destructive and it is bad, and I did it. I, we as educators were trained to do that in our education programs. It's behaviorism, and I did it really well. I had the ticket chart. I'm so embarrassed to admit I was right there in the middle of it because that's how I was trained to teach. Um, and then I kept growing, as we all do, and learned, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed that I did that. This, this, I, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm training children to comply is that my goal? No, and quite frankly, it doesn't even work long-term, it works short-term. So a big non-negotiable here from K to 12 is there are no extrinsic rewards. We are absolutely trying to create an environment that allows kids to build intrinsic motivation, and grades are a sort of extrinsic reward. They absolutely are, and they're lies. Let's be real. Y'all know it, every one of us. Even at our high school, they're not true. They're not true. If you look at an A, I don't know, okay, is this an A because this kid has complete and total mastery of this content? Is this an A because the teacher's afraid of the um, parent? Is this an A because this kid has a work ethic, uh, amazing work ethic, and he or she will come to you 400 times and do anything over and work their fanny off and do and do and do and do, but if I'm being completely honest, he doesn't have perfect mastery of the content, but he has an amazing work ethic, and quite frankly, if I could give any kid that, I'd, anything I could give a kid, I'd give him a work ethic. I want to reward a kid for a work ethic, right? So sometimes we teachers reward them with grades, um, which is, so, so anyway, extrinsic rewards are non-negotiable. Grades, we think, muddy the process and distract from learning. So we start them as late as possible. We do them in high school simply because if a high school doesn't have traditional grades, colleges will look more at test scores. In my opinion, the only thing worse than looking at grades is looking at test scores. So I'll take the lesser of the two evils. And then we start them in eighth grade so kids can practice them before they come to high school. And to add on to the thing with the grading, because somebody this came up in our conversation, when it comes to printing um, transcripts, we don't print class ranks. We don't believe in class ranks. So they do, they do get a GPA, but they don't. They are not ranked. Um, so as a new school, we're growing very quickly. So every year we add 30 to 40 new staff. And one of my biggest challenges is I'm more like you, big picture vision. So I understand where we're headed and why we do the things that we do. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling to share that big vision and have the staff to understand where we're headed and why. And we don't have a lot of big vision people on the staff, so I'm really the only one who can cast that vision. So how do you, as a school leader, 
handle that with your staff to make sure they understand. Are you also thinking of assimilating new staff? Or so is your question specifically focused on how do I assimilate new staff and get them to buy into this mission, vision, and do what we do here? Or is it my we grow so much that I feel like my entire staff I've, I've, I'm not sure that they buy into the big picture vision and what do I do to keep that assimilated for the whole? Yeah, I mean, I would say 90% of them, they buy into what we're doing, but they don't understand the big picture. So they get the day-to-day, but mm-hmm. they don't see where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they're in their classroom, right. and they're doing their day-to-day so thing. It's, so it's so when really you're, that question is related to... It's, okay. it's a problem I end. It's my communication. But as right. a, as a mm-hmm. leader, how do you mm-hmm. help your school and staff to understand big vision? I'm going to let them... Yeah, yeah maybe... What does she do? That's <laughs> and it's what we do. Yeah. It's that constant communication about this is our vision, this is who we are, and not Why do we, we do? and not this is Joy's vision. This is our vision. You know, like really, um, I feel like day one, I I was a part of the process. I was given voice. I was given a piece mm-hmm. of the of, of the the vision myself, and I that made me so connected. Mm-hmm. I remember the very first day I, I went to interview, and it was in this little church, you know, that, um, and I went to interview, and I was walking out, and Joy said, hey, I'd like to offer you the second grade position, think about it, come back, if, you know, I, I was back within a minute, you know, like, yes, I want that, that position. She said, great, come, up, come tomorrow, because I'm doing some more interviews, I want you to be a part of the process. I want you to help interview other people who are coming in. And this is when we were hiring a whole new staff of people. That was our major opening Mm -hmm. year as a new charter. So the day one, I was hired, and here I am now being a participant in helping to create and grow the school and the the culture of what's... And so reading lots of books, I went home that night. Here's the basic school book. I'm, I'm devouring it, just trying to make sure that I... Now when we're being a part of this process, I don't want to mess up. I want to be a part of this wholeheartedly. And and each open house that I went to or each time that Joy was able to speak broadly to a, a whole group of people, the same message was communicated consistently and, and, and not a waiver from here's what we believe, even this is what we believe and this is what we will do um, regardless. And so I, I heard that, that same mission over and over and over again because um, I, I heard it so often, I attached to it, I believed it, and I wanted to make sure that I could communicate that as well. So that every part, every person, staff meetings, every, Wednesday, every other Wednesday, staff <coughs> meetings, we start with, you know, who are, what are some of the th- great things you're seeing? Why are we doing what we are doing? It's always bring, being brought back to that. Um, a staff retreat once a year where we all as a community join together and spend time re- reconnecting to our vision, reconnecting to what's important, having a goal for where are, we, where are we going next and why are we doing what we are doing and being all together in that space really helps to just make us feel purposeful and committed and a part of that. New staff training, we do that in June every year. And the one thing I would add is uh, the, my, we, get, we find ourselves in the weeds as leaders and if, you're, if we're not aware oh, I'm getting distracted by the weeds, then we spend all our time in the weeds, and, and we can't. Staff meetings have to be about what's what matters, not the weeds. Um, it's our job to inspire, um, and so as a leader, that can't ever stop. From The time you come together should be focused on what matters, not the weeds. The weeds need to be addressed. We've got to deal with the weeds. We've got to deal with the prom. Right? It's got to be dealt with. But that shouldn't be the focus of, of all your time, of all our time. 
Are you gonna add anything? I was gonna add about just the new staff training that like the same the same kind of process that Amy's talking about when you know, when I was hired, I was hired by the English team that was here and then I participated in that. But the biggest um, the biggest thing as a new staff person, I was invited to the staff retreat before I even worked at the school. So I got to go to that and I got to meet all of these people who I was going to be working with. And then in June with the new staff training, that's a week long of just really intensive, um, what, what is our mission? What is our vision? Let's watch these videos about extrinsic motivation and why it's bad. So just some, some YouTube clips and some things that are really connected to it. But then also just lots of opportunities to collaborate with staff who are already here. So the things that, that sometimes you just find it hard to make time for during the school year of let's sit down ninth, ninth grade and 10th grade English teachers together and let's just really chat and talk about what we're gonna do, what's our plan, um, and that team time to, to really get a vision in place for your own self for the, for the following year. Um, that time during that new staff training week was super, super valuable coming in as a new teacher to, to work with my future teammates and my department um, members as well, as well as doing that really intensive look at the mission and vision and the basic school and where it came from and why it was there and why it exists. I have one more thing, and, and I, I hope you agree with this, but I, um, I think that those teachers like me like Erica and like I'm sure you have on your staff who get itches like oh I kind of oh I've been teaching that same thing for a little bit what can I do next what can I do next not that I was an expert in any way but I just what do I do next what do I do next so part of um, why I'm here I think is because I taught in elementary I was here day one I've been a part of, of seeing how that mission and that vision plays out um, and then there was an opening in high school. I never, ever anticipated being a part of, the high, of high school, ever, ever, ever. And I think culturally, I knew who we were a little bit. And when high school was new and it would be in a completely separate campus. With all new people. All new people, I, I think, I was yeah, brought on to, to, to help to kind of make Preserve that bridge, yeah, bridge that gap between who, you know, here's this campus, here's this campus, and bringing some of that philosophical, cultural piece to this. I am a huge believer of having the right people in the right job, um, and, and there have been people who I almost fired, and it was my fault. I had them in the wrong job, and thank goodness I figured it out, and we put them in the right job because they're phenomenal. I had them in the wrong job, and that... I do think as you grow a school, our success has been that anytime we grow something new, we seed it with a few people from down here. Now, you can't put a fourth grade teacher in high school if they don't want to be in high school or they're not passionate and they're not willing and interested in learning it. Um, but you look for your teachers who get bored, and there's great teachers who want to teach the two, three loop for their whole career, and they're phenomenal, and I'm grateful they do. But there's great teachers, and I was, I don't know as great as they are, but I was a teacher who got bored. I needed to do something for a while and then do something different. And, and you identify those people who are smart, awesome teachers who need change, and you grow them with your school because we all know the conversation that happens around the table of teachers looks and sounds different when you're not there, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to have some of those teachers be the people sitting at that table that says, uh, that's mean, or that doesn't feel good. Why, 
what you seem stressed. What can I do to help you? You've got to have people sitting at that table who understand the the depth of the culture of your school, who can identify when a teacher is going astray, and support them, love them, without judgment, but also hold them accountable to the mission and vision of your school. Most of the people we hire who go off course, they just didn't know, and they need help. Now, if they did know, and they're doing it anyway, and they're not open, then they're out of here. But if they just didn't know and they want help, that's our job to help them. And, and you have to have people, I believe, in every few grade levels who are your, 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 your innate t natural teacher leaders who are going to help your teacher team, their peers, stay true to the mission and vision. Because nobody's going to say the same thing if you're in the room. I wish they would, and, and many teachers here, I feel like, are brutally honest with me, and I love it. But there's a whole bunch of people, no matter how much I try never to come off as a boss, they still think of me as their boss, and I hate that. But the reality is, it may hurt my feelings if they don't tell me something, yet the reality is i got to know it some way or another, and if they won't tell me, I need them comfortable telling someone who is a keeper of the vision. The, keeper of the, the keepers of the vision have to be spread out throughout your school. How many staff members do you have that go on these retreats? And we have over 200 on staff, K-12, and every single person who works here is invited to our retreat from custodial to executive director. And we, it's, it's, you know, it's a camp, it's a, you know, cabin, it's rustic living. Um, but we, um, um, I would say every year we probably have anywhere from 100 to 100, no, I'm going to say 125 to 150 maybe 170 who come. It's all paid for. We make it fun and full of laughter because it's the spring retreat is focused on relationships and mission and vision. Because, you know, May is when we get mean to each other, right? Because we're tired and we're grouchy. We're ready for summer. Testing's coming up. And that's the test of your relationship is can, can we go through the hard times and come out the other side. So we do our retreat right middle of May and come back remembering why we love each other. And Erica shared that the new staff that you've already hired for the upcoming year are also invited and come. So just you know, think of that. They've already got their staff hired already. Well, we don't. We're having a later year than we've ever had because we considered a replication uh, with the community charter in Charlotte, and we withdrew because we couldn't get the facility, but we delayed our hiring because if we did that, it was mm -hmm. going to impact hiring big time. So we're hiring right now, which is totally stressing me out. We are, mm -hmm. we are usually done by May 1st, um, except for the unexpected. But this year, we're behind the eight ball. Yeah. Joy, how do you give all 200 staff feedback? It's not just me. It, um, it's um, those teacher leaders, the the admin team. It, it's um, if 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 the staff here needs my feedback to get better, I have messed up big time. It's impossible to get to two hundred people. There is one little thing that just that piece. Every once in a while, the teacher, you, you while you don't need validation coming from Joy, yeah, it you know feels nice, or if it's coming from a colleague or coming from someone else. So one of the things that uh, we started this year were I see you emails, and it's just uh, I see you doing something, something, you know, like just a quick little um, email 
three, four sentences, and you get that in your inbox. Like, I see, I saw you do this, and that was something that was worth noting. And you get this little email from a colleague, from a, uh, a, you know, a, a member of the admin team, or you know, whoever, and it really, it's just a way to help you, okay, that gets me the next day, want to do even better. And we, our high school staff did that as a staff goal. That's for high school students and staff. Mm -hmm. So um, w w it was part of that, you know, that goal, broadening perspectives, um, otherness. One of our thoughts is part of the problem we have with otherness is people feeling invisible and not valued. So that e I see you email um, goal was to make sure that people are getting one more kind of feedback. I think there was a hand back there. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so in transitioning to high school, every training we've been to, that's like, you know, people who have high school charters are like, oh my gosh. So we're slightly freaking out because we're five through eight, mm -hmm. first opening year, and then we're going into high school. Um, are y'all doing one grade at a time? Yes. Okay. So we'll, our second year is going into high school yes. as opposed to starting at kindergarten. So what is the big, like, whopping Why is it so hard? Right. Okay. Um, will y'all have athletics at your high school? Yes. Okay, that's one reason. It's mm -hmm. Athletics. Hugely important, I believe, in a, in a high school program, unless you say we're not doing it on the front end, because then you end up with kids there who that they're not looking for that. Um, oh my gosh, I can't even describe how much time is sucked, mm -hmm. how how hard it is finding. If you're a small charter school, you can't afford to pay coaches huge money, so you end up half the time with volunteer coaches and 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 coaches who work full-time jobs and they're coming here and then you find out your coach cursed at a kid and you're like, what? We don't curse at children here. Um, well, we coach, we curse people in football all the time. I'm like, not at CSD, you don't. Um, so this whole world of athletics that is wonderful and important and valuable all of a sudden opened all these new problems, things that happened that needed attention. And that, I just didn't have a clue how much time that would take. And we are still, um, we are not there. We, I, I'm hopeful that in three years we'll have that in a managed, a, a managed framework that feels better. Right now I'm feeling like I'm putting out fires. Um, because there's that philosophical alignment that I learned in the world of athletics doesn't always match mine as an educator. In addition, think about high school parents who their plan is their children are gonna get college scholarships for sports to pay for their education. So what are the thing, what is the thing, who's a parent in this room? Would you all agree that the one thing in this world that you are at, you turn into crazy psycho person over is your children, <laughs> right? Well be a high school parent and you think something's going to interfere with your kid's ability to get an athletic scholarship to pay for their education. And yet, sometimes that kicks parents into that crazy mode that we all have inside us. We all do. We have to own it. And it's, it's big and it's real. That's real to them. And 
they're freaking out over playing time on the basketball court, but really what they're freaking out is their kid going to college and paying for their education. And then the additional layer is the coach is telling you, yeah, that kid's not going to play college sports. <laughs> so that parent doesn't even have a realistic yeah. thought about what it's, it is complex. At, so sports, sports, athletics is, is a huge challenge. The other number one challenge is going to be scheduling. If you're a small school, it is not cost efficient to offer a ton of things and a ton of variety, but if you believe your students need and deserve that, then anything that you only have one or two sections of becomes a scheduling nightmare. So, and we have tons of that here. So scheduling is nightmarish. Is that where your independent, how you use your independent study? And internships for sure, and Learning. very creative scheduling things that no other yeah, normal person does. would even consider doing, but we do. Uh, um, for instance, one reason people do four by four semester block scheduling in high school is because it makes it easier to schedule. We don't do that because in our heads we don't think it's educationally sound. We think it's educationally sound to take something for a full year. Well, that limits our that that cuts our scheduling options in half. But. You, when you have to make those hard decisions and there's no right or wrong, it's what's right for us, we go back to our mission and our vision and we're a school educating kids for the future. So we're not going to do what's easy for our scheduling. We're going to do what we think is best for kids learning. But that always makes you, you, the dominoes fall. And then the third biggest challenge for high school is, and this is my um, my my elementary teacher self, you know, teaching's hard, kids have problems, you worry about them. Big kids have really big, scary problems. And, and I, it, that's the hardest thing about high school. And we have drugs, sex, alcohol, mental health, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders. Every high school is a microcosm of the larger community and no high school does not have those things I just mentioned somewhere in there and, and you just worry yourself sick about kids because they're teenagers. So we got our team for a couple more minutes. So I see Jeff, we'll probably have time for one or two more questions. Sure. So my question for you all is if your school was 30 minutes south of here in the city or 30 minutes north of here in the country, do you feel like your model would be effective? And 100%. What would you have to rethink or reconsider when moving into one of those new areas? Well, I, um, in the name of full disclosure, CSD is the only school I've ever worked in that was a predominantly white upper socioeconomic status. That's not my background. wasn't by design. It was where we could get a freaking building. <laughs> so that's why we're, we are where we are. We're very blessed because Davidson is wonderful to us, but it was not by design. Um, so... What we do at this school, I believe every kid deserves, period. I, I, I believe in my heart, our model in my heart and head is the right thing for all children because it's not a cookie cutter. It's a model that's focused on looking at an individual child and doing what's right for that kid. So how could that not fit any population? I've worked in a 100% free and reduced lunch school. I've worked in a 
very, very diverse school with tons of non-English speaking children. Like I've worked in those schools and while it wasn't a whole school of CSD, in my classroom I did what we do and it works, I know it does. Uh, my biggest concern with our most vulnerable children in our country, and in my opinion that is kids who live in poverty, um, I believe that with the best of intentions, people approach that population of students in too rigid and control, control, control. And I don't buy into that. I think that's wrong and I think it's destructive and I absolutely think um, I don't have any illusions of saving anyone. I don't believe kids who live in poverty need saving. I believe kids <coughs> in poverty need a wonderful environment in which to grow and become who they are already here. And so um, I, I have zero concerns or questions about what we do. Is it right for all kids? Would what we do look different? Yeah because what we do would look different in any building we had because you do what's right for these little people in your building. The framework's the same, holistic education, arts-based education, intrinsic motivation, those things are the same, but what I do and say and interact with l looks like it looks different with every kid. Y'all agree? Mm -hmm. Joy, can you talk about the, um, so we had a few folks talk about capacity and, you know, mm -hmm. so I would love for you to share just about the teacher leadership program and kind of how that's really changed what you've done over the last couple of years. Yes. Um, I, first and foremost, leaders, we have to surround ourselves with people way smarter than us, and I'm really good at that. And you can tell, I am good at that. I am awesome at spotting people smarter than me, and I love them. I'm not threatened by them. I'm not intimidated by them. I suck them in, stalk them, and get them to work with me. Um, I, I think there's different kinds of leadership, and I believe in approaching a school environment where every teacher is a leader. You are a leader in your classroom, and you are a leader with your colleagues, whether it's informal or formal, right? Okay, so teachers have to be treated as leaders and trained and taught as leaders. Um, and I would even go so far as that trickles down to your students. Our students should be taught and trained as leaders. They will be leading their lives. So leadership should be an integral part of what we're talking about and teaching uh, for everyone every day. Now, in, in a school setting, you have more formal leadership. You have principals and assistant principals and EC directors. Um, and it's not enough. The, 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 the bigger, there's never enough human resources in a school. So we have to build leadership capacity within our school in those little pods so that the culture is protected um, when the formal leaders are not present. Um, in addition, we have to feed our teachers um, what they need for their own professional growth. And for some teachers, the ones who kind of get bored and who have that kind of natural interest, what I feed them looks the same as everybody else and more. So I need to make sure I'm giving them opportunities and readings that grow them in a little bit different way because they're interested in a more formal leadership. Oftentimes they didn't know it to start with. So 
So, so we have to see in our staff gifts and talents and sometimes show them things they might not know about themselves. Um, that was what my best principal did for me. I didn't, never meant to be a leader, ever. And he saw something in me that I didn't know was there. And I think as leaders, that's part of our job. Um, but I very much believe that if you, if, you be, if you buy into public education, then you, we should be invested in all educators. And some of those people will lead within our organization and some of those people will go lead elsewhere. And I, my personal philosophy is that I honor and respect and support teachers who go to lead elsewhere because in my head that's another seed of goodness out into the world of education. So, so I think it's our responsibility to help those teachers who want to formally lead schools either lead within your school to eventually maybe take over your school or to lead within your school to maybe eventually go and replicate or, or work at another school. Did that? So teacher leadership, it looks very different depending on what that person wants. But we do have at both sites a formal teacher leadership program that is open to all with just a few parameters. Um, everything we do is open to all. Um, I think one of the most destructive things that you can have happen in a school is us against them and the favorite teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a favorite teacher in every school I ever worked at. I was one the principal loved and everybody said, oh, she's his favorite. And that's not good. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> Every teacher in our school should feel honored and respected and valuable. And if you don't feel that way about them, they shouldn't be working in our school. So at our school, both schools, K-7 and high school and eighth grade, send the invite. Who wants to be in teacher leadership program next year? Teacher leadership program means you rotate into the front one day a month, approximately. Um, and there's a sub in your classroom, and you're doing what needs to be done that day. If you're lucky, you spend your day in classroom sending love notes to teachers and kids. If you're unlucky, you're helping interview the 25 kids who were part of the social media fiasco that happened over the weekend that just disrupted your entire learning environment, and you have to dissect and figure out who needs to be suspended. You have to call the 45 parents who are mad. So depending on what day you land, um, you do whatever the leader is doing that day um, and needs to be done. And in that way, um, it's interesting. Some teachers do that because they're a little bored and they want something to change up their month. Some teachers do that because, I, and one of them perfectly articulates, I never want to be a principal, but I love you and I want to help you. And if I could do that one day a month, it would make me happy. Thank goodness. And then some people do it. That's Andy Snyder. <laughs> and then some people do it because they're curious and they're a little bored. And then they find out, oh my gosh, I kind of love this. Several of our teacher leaders have ended up getting master's degree in, in getting their principal's Joy amazing. Because you have to stalk the people and make them do things like BEC directors and get their master's for their teacher principal's license. So that's the gist of what that program is. Um, and what we do with it at high school looks a little different than K-7. Um, I have gotten really, really good. I'm very proud of myself because I was not good at this prior previously at delegating. So our teacher leaders, man, I give them some call <coughs> orders on their teacher leader days um, because I'm selfish and it helps me. Mm -hmm. 
um, and I can get in classrooms <coughs> so do you like create a list of here's all the things that they could do and so they walk in that day and there's kind of a list or I send a, a note the night before mm -hmm. that's and I, I send the note to the teacher leader and I CC pivotal people the two counselors the two main teacher leaders the other high school principal and me and I say dear teacher leader Joy Warner here's what's on your docket for tomorrow we know right now these ladies may add to it and then of course all this goes out the window if all hell breaks loose right mm -hmm. so and at the end of the day these three things you've got to get done these are if you have time you said you had a few parameters for this a few parameters thank you so this I, I, the parameters being you're not new to a position you know um that you have been with us for a while like that you two years, I think, if, if you've been here for a few years, with just very general, general parameters. So I think Joy needs to run. She's got a class I going have a on. class to teach. So, <laughs> so just real quick, 30 yeah. seconds. Uh, Joy has been a mentor of mine since the first day we met. She was part of my dissertation study. Had no idea, and you've changed my life. Mm -hmm. I can't leave We're this place. We're the worst place. probably a little bit. I can't leave this place <laughs> with ever feeling like inside. What am I doing to make the world better? Because I've got to catch up yeah. to what Joy's in. So when I asked, crazy, when right? I asked my partner, Jeff, I said, Jeff, what book do we have that we haven't already given Joy? She needs to read Multipliers. Because you are, you are, I've never met anybody who can multiply leadership uh, like you, you can. So thank you for thank you. having us this day. And we hope that you come and join us for lunch. And this afternoon we're doing a lot of this. And, you guys too. So I won't come back up awesome. at lunch unless I'm dealing with the social media crisis that happened well, in You've got 15, 16 other school leaders here to help you. So thanks. Thank All you right. so much. Y'all have a great Jeff again here. Thank you for listening to the Principal's Office podcast today. I hope you enjoyed Joy's message and her team's message and learning more about what they do at Community School of Davidson. My favorite quote that she said that I'll keep with me is, the keepers of the vision have to be spread throughout the school. It gives me such a good visual of the intentionality of her and her staff and how they make sure that the buy-in is there for, for the approach that they have. I'd like to mention a couple of things before we sign off. One is uh, that they mentioned the Fresh Take Conference, which is an annual conference in January that the teachers at Community School of Davidson especially uh, present at. It is a great opportunity for you and for any teachers to learn real practical application uh, techniques and strategies that can help your school. I will put the link to that in the in the notes about this podcast, if you scroll down where the notes are. And then finally, uh, this was the regional consortium where we recorded this podcast. Next year, we are going to hit all five regions of North Carolina, the Triangle, the Coast, Charlotte, the Triad, and also the Mountains for two sessions apiece. And you and your administration or your school leaders can, can visit those to do exactly what we did here, which was tour an amazing school, have a Q&A with their leadership, and then share some time with other charter school leaders to connect with them and share the tools, the struggles, and the strategies that you are weathering. So if you'd like to sign up, the link to that is also in the notes. So I hope you do, and I hope you join us on the next episode of the Principal's Office Podcast.